We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Baptist Church, San Antonio. As we begin this morning, hear this scripture from Hebrews chapter 12. Follow along as we begin the worship of our great God and Savior this morning. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, who for the joy, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Are you grateful for this Savior? It is Him we have come to worship this morning. Let's begin with taking your hymnals to Hymn 355 for all the saints. Stand together, let's sing.
welcome those around you in worship this morning. church family. My name is Brian McNaughton. I am one of the deacons here at First Baptist and it is my pleasure to welcome you to worship today on this Sunday of Veterans Weekend. Tomorrow uh, will mark the 100 year anniversary of an address President Woodrow Wilson gave on the 11th of November 1919, the day which marked the first anniversary of what was then Armistice Day, the ending of World War I. In his address, President Wilson said, with splendid forgetfulness of mere concerns, we remodeled our industries, concentrated our financial resources, increased our agricultural output, and assembled a great army, so that at the last, our power was a decisive factor in the victory. May I suggest today to us that we serve a great God who sent his son Jesus. And this Jesus, through his splendid forgetfulness of mere personal concerns, went to the cross and died and rose again in power. And it is that power that gives us the decisive victory over death to all who call upon his name. It is him who we serve today. Let us pray. Our great God and Father, we invite your spirit to move among these people. Our cares are many and you have commanded them to bring, the, bring them to you and so we do. We thank you for in your wisdom you have provided us the path to victory through the name of your precious son Jesus in whom we pray, amen. Thank you, Colonel McNaughton. Thank you for your service. To all those that have served and are serving, we are grateful. Grateful that we have a place that we can feel safe and free. We are grateful for that God that we, we called upon earlier and continue to call out in this worship service. So as we continue today, we read 1 Timothy 6, 13 through 16. You follow along as I read this. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in the unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. We've been reading this week about relationships, about how to treat one another, and specifically in these first verses, about how to treat our families. So in, in, those, in the light of that, let's sing together, Would You Bless Our Homes and Families, hymn 507, standing together as we sing.
Amen. Children, come on down. Come meet me down here. We're so grateful for those of you who are watching on TV today. You are very much a part of our life together as a church. Grateful for you, and we're grateful, grateful for all these students coming down today. Good to see you all this morning. Come on, gather in. like we normally do. I've got a couple of questions for you that I'm going to ask you this morning. And you don't, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. You can just, you can just say it out loud. I'll, I'll kind of look on one side. I'll kind of look the other side. And you, can, you can kind of answer as we go through. All right, so your question is, well, I want you to think about the times that you sit at the dinner table. Okay, so you, you sit down to eat. All right, now when, when you sit down to eat, let's say you're sitting down... Yeah, when it's close to bedtime. Yeah, when it's almost bedtime, you're sitting down to eat, and you're at your house. Who's in charge when you sit down to eat? Just say it. Your parents. Mom, dad, parents. Yeah, that's right. Anything different over here? When you sit down to eat in the evening, who's in charge? God. Yeah, that's right. Right? God, God's in charge of our parents, too, isn't he? Yeah, Jesus, that's right. Now, let's see if it changes. Now, when you sit down to eat at school, who's in charge? Your teacher, is that right? Your principal's in charge. The cafeteria ladies, that's right. Custodians, teachers, anybody else over here? Who? God, God's in charge, that's right, that's right. He's, he's over all of Jesus. Man, y'all have the perfect answers, don't you? Now, let me ask one more. So let's say if you go out to eat, let's say at a restaurant, who's in charge if you go out and eat at a restaurant? Is it changed? The, the, the waiter's in charge? Jesus is in charge. That's right. Good. God's in charge. Your parents, man, we're, we're kind of all over the map, aren't we? But let me tell you, no, all, actually, all of your answers are exactly right, right? We, we have parents and teachers, and we have uh, uh, people in our lives who help us and help us learn and grow, and we do have to listen to them. We do have to answer. In fact, in today's text, we're going to read one of the things you're going to hear in the Scripture for today is children obey your parents, and so we do have to listen to them. We have to listen with them at meals, but you're exactly right. Jesus actually outranks all of our parents. So if we're trying to think who's in charge, we go kind of with our parents, and then we look up, and Jesus is high above all of them. So you're exactly right with all of that. And so one of the things I want us to look at this morning, you all see we've got a meal sitting right over there, right? Sitting right on the table. We're going we're gonna to take together at the end of the service today. And this is Jesus' meal with us. And Jesus is in charge of this meal that we have together. And there's a couple of things that you'd be aware of as we take this meal. One of those is we take this when, when we're right with God. And so if we're not right with God right now, we, we pray, we ask God for forgiveness, we come in near to Him, say, Lord, search my heart and make it right. And so that's when we take it the supper. And so for a lot of us, if we haven't yet accepted Christ as our Savior, we haven't been baptized in that way, it's not time yet to take the supper. In fact, it's time when we're repentant before the Lord, we've been baptized, we've been saved, and Jesus is our Savior. That's when we take the supper together. So sometimes you'll see people that don't take it. And sometimes it's just not time for them today. Um, sometimes we haven't yet accepted Christ as our Savior. And so we want to be real careful with this meal. It's important to us as a church, and it's important to you as believers that we take it with real seriousness as Christ asked us to. Okay? Well, let's pray. And I want you to listen for all of those things in the sermon today. Lord, we thank you for this time together, and we pray that as we approach your word and as we approach your meal, 
Lord, that your spirit would work in our hearts and our lives as only you can. Lord, draw us in near to you today. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you all. So as we consider what it means to, to love like Christ loved or loved as God has called us to love, it's probably appropriate that we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13 in, in that love chapter that many of us had read or um, sung at our weddings. Um, and for me, you, you might imagine there was a lot of music at my wedding. And one of the songs that I had the congregation sing was this hymn 423. I hope you recognize the tune and I hope that you can sing in this. We don't sing it a lot, but it's, it's a resetting of this, this love chapter. And so if we're going to treat one another with the respect and love that God has called us to, we, we probably should know what that, that is like. So let's stand everybody and turn to hymn 423 and let's sing this. Remain standing as we prepare to read from the word of the Lord.
Who's in charge here? God, I heard good. Yeah, that's right. Just like the children started. Who's in charge here? God, there you go. Good. Well done. Well done. When, when was the last time you heard that line? When was the last time you spoke that line, who's in charge? For me, it was in a donut shop not long ago. I was over in the corner minding my own business uh, when a line began to form in the donut shop all the way to the door and, and about out the door. And people were getting antsy because they, they weren't getting their donuts fast enough. And so about that time, there was a mom, had a little boy, he's probably four or five years old, walked past the line and walked up to the counter where they could see in the display case. And the little boy was pointing out all the the donuts he wanted, when a lady from the back of the line said that very thing, who's in charge here? She looked at that mom and looked at that little boy and said, they're cutting. They're cutting for the rest of us. Who's in charge? And she looked over the counter to all the people milling around the back, and they were just kind of silent. They didn't, they didn't know what to do. And she still demanded, who's in charge? Somebody needs to get this line in order because they're getting ahead of us. And so in that moment, all of the workers didn't know what to do and just sort of kept on about their business, as did everyone else in line. And that lady just turned around and walked out and went home without her donut. And so I'm, I'm saddened for her. I hope she got something later. But, you know, it's, it's an odd scene when somebody says, who's in charge here? Whenever that question comes up, there, there's going to be something. It's never a good thing when you hear someone say, who's in charge here? There's almost certainly a disaster around the corner. I think every one of those employees in the back of that little donut shop, they just didn't want to deal with this lady and the disaster that they thought was about to happen. You know, when, when people do that, when people ask who's in charge here, they're usually looking for somebody to blame. And if they're not looking for somebody to blame, they're looking for somebody to get to work, for somebody to handle whatever is happening out here even if it's just a little boy going to look at the donuts. You know, if you're in charge, you better be ready to roll your sleeves up and get to work when someone yells, who's in charge? But you know, I'm not sure that's the worst of it. The worst very well may be when a leader, when the one who is in charge has to say, who's in charge here? Because if the person who is in charge has to ask the question, who is in charge here, there's either a coup about to happen or some pent-up anger underneath. Or maybe both. Who's in charge here? You know, in today's text, we get some clarification. We get some clarification that we need in response to this question, who's in charge? Husbands, wives, parents, children, master, slave, who is in charge here? Everybody wants to know who to blame. Everybody wants to know who has the authority. Everybody wants to know who has the power to actually get things done around here. Who is the one that is in charge here? You know, and usually when, when we read this text, we hope they take note. Whoever they are in our context, the, the, all of the people that are opposite us in a text like today's. There's somebody close to us we want to read this text. But let me assure you, no matter where you find yourself in this text, there's a single truth that remains that we cannot miss. 
Because there's only one who has the authority. There, there's only one who has the power to get things done. You see, this is the truth that we can't miss today. The one that has the authority and the one that has the responsibility and the one who can get things done is Jesus Christ himself. The Lord is in charge here. The Lord is in charge of the church. The Lord is in charge of our families. The Lord is in charge over this entire earth, even the solar system that it exists in. And that's what we need to hear today. This is not for someone else. This is not a word for them. This is a word for you. This is the Lord coming before you this morning and saying, I am the one who holds the authority here. He is the one who has it all under control and always has had it under control. And this is the best news that we can get this morning. When we read a text like this, we should be filled with joy. In fact, we should be filled with this hope, knowing that there is someone in charge who is able, that there is someone in charge who is capable. There is one who is in charge who is greater than us. Praise the Lord. There is a, there is a God, a fair and loving God who is with you. He's with you at home. He's with you at work. And this fair and loving God wants you to flourish there. And the Spirit is at work in your life fighting for you to make it right. We have a God who will listen to us, a God who will protect us, a God who has already seen the future. He knows where we're headed. He says, I'm with you. And I have this all under control. I am the one who is in charge here. It's best for us. This is best for us when we answer to this generous God. But even still, as we, as we recognize the graciousness of this loving God, all the times that we have noted where he was fighting for us, kept us on the way, there are still, de still days even for, for believers, still days where, where our fleshly self resents that. And, 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 and our flesh begins to push back on the reign of Jesus Christ because we're not in charge. And there are days we want to reach up from heaven and grab the reins from God and say, I am going to take charge. There's even times in, in our lives where we have some responsibility. And we steal the reins from the Lord and say, I am the one in charge here. From this Lord who created the earth, the same Lord that, that knows the number of hairs on our head and knows every treacherous thought we have ever had in our minds. You see, as much as anything, th this text is a reminder to those in charge, to, to those of us that find ourselves in any sort of leadership role, that we are not as in charge as our flesh wants us to believe. You see, husbands, parents, masters, all of them reminded throughout Scripture and specifically in today's text that it is God alone who is in charge. Do not think for one minute that our gracious God gives you a free pass to occasionally outrank Jesus Christ. There is not a day on this earth that you will outrank Jesus Christ ever. He is the top of the chain of command always. You see, it would, if you would think about all of the relationships that we have, each one in your life, your, your closest relationships this morning, 
the, the relationships that, that we find all through the text for today. Jesus Christ is Lord of all of them. When you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and you walk in newness of life, your relationships change. They can't help but to change. When, you, when you're filled with the Spirit and the love of Christ is bubbling up within you, the, the Spirit and the love of God overflows out of you into those relationships. There is no other way for the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. It's because Christ radiates out of you. When we recognize Jesus Christ as Lord over our lives, those relationships are impacted. See, we love him and love them. Then we see in our text, it, it, it takes a turn this week. It's a perfect turn that moves from family to the workplace. Now, to be clear, it, it moves to the ancient master-slave relationship. And there were times, even in that day, when it could be unthinkably brutal, similar to the, the shameful slaveholding practices of our nation's early history. If we, if, if we remember in August, it marked the 400th year since the first enslaved Africans came to this continent. It's 20 of them. They're brought to Port Comfort, Virginia. So in that, let's look at uh, 4.1, Colossians 4.1. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. That line is true and a warning. We don't need to lose sight of 4-1 here. God was reminding everyone who mistreated anyone that you will answer to the Lord in heaven. Though you think you are the master, there is only one master and Lord of this universe, one master that all of us will answer to. You see, one of the remarkable things about today's text is even the slave got to ask the question, who's in charge here? Perfect respect for those who received none. Now, in that way, it's not exactly the same. However, we can take these principles that, that are listed here and, and look at these principles in light of our own work. In fact, I want you to look, at, with, me, uh, look with me at Colossians 3, 22 and 23. Let's read this in light of our own work. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. Not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. See, there's, there's days when it's hard for us to go to work. It, there's, there's days for every one of us where, where it's difficult to get out of bed and do the things that you were called to do today. Especially when the work is demanding. Or, or when you have a boss who always feels the need to tell Who's in, tell everyone who's in charge. See, but as Christians, we have different motivations. In Christ, our work is different because even there, even as we work, we toil with our hands, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord of our work, Lord of the work of our hands. That whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord. See, we get in these bad habits of, of going to work for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes we get in the habit of, of going to work just to get a paycheck. 
See, we go to work thinking that we are the provider for our families. We go to work thinking that we're going to be the ones that sustain our lives and sustain our families when that's not the word of Scripture. The word of Scripture is our Lord and Savior above is the provider and sustainer of our life. We're going to work to honor Him, not to provide for our families. We're not going to work to, to pad our resume or out of habit, but our work week is for the Lord and in the Lord. All of those other things are nothing in comparison to Him. He is the one unto which we work. And it raises our level of excellence to holiness that's beyond anything that we can do on our own, even in our workplaces. See, God's going to provide all those things that we normally work for. And when we realize that, we're set free from overbearing employers and we walk in newness of life. Because ultimately, we don't answer to our bosses. We answer to Jesus Christ. And it's Him alone who is our motivation. You know, interestingly, in the middle of this conversation on masters and slaves that, that we've refocused here to employee-employer, we get verse 25. Look at 3, um, verse 25 with me. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. There's a lot of controversy around this verse. And the controversy around this verse is, is, is who is verse 25 talking to? The scholars go back and forth. Some say, well, it's, it's looking backwards, talking to the slaves. Others say it's looking forward. It's, it's, it's speaking to the master. I'm not sure it matters. Because through the text, we understand one thing is clear. Jesus Christ is Lord. And the statement rings true for all of us. Whether you're master, slave, you or me, husband, wife, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and there's no way around it. We will answer to him. What we need to recognize here is that the same question, who's in charge, has the same answer, Jesus Christ. You are not, no matter, no matter who you think you are. And in the end, if we have mistreated anyone, vengeance will come at the hand of the Lord. We will melt away at the fiery wrath of God. You see, there's, there's what we need to understand here in, in what, what Scripture is pointing us to. It's God alone who brings the punishment. And in fact, our own punishments could never come near the wrath of God, which is exactly why we need to stop worrying about who is getting theirs. You know, when we read these texts and think, oh, they're not doing this. That's between them and the Lord. Or, or we, we, we begin to dream up ways of all the people uh, to take care of all the people who have wronged us. Maybe it's even people on this list. When our God is saying, let that go, the vengeance is mine. In the end, they will face the Lord, which is far worse than anything that you could dream up. And one of the things that we need to remember in that is that God is fighting for you. And that God's going to take care of you if you have been wronged and you have been mistreated. We concentrate on our relationship with the Lord and let Him handle it. He's the one who's in charge and He's the one alone who can handle it. But even with that, and we, and we recognize, God says, those that deserve the punishment and wrath of God will receive it. Greater than the fiery wrath of God, greater still is the grace of God. You see, the, the one who is in charge has set out a course for you to know his grace. Look at verse 24. 
3.24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. When we submit our, Lord, or to our life to our Lord Jesus Christ and serve him in faith, there is new life for you. Life that is filled with grace and an inheritance that you don't deserve. And so we surrender before him, saying, take me, Lord, and make me your own. Because you see, the, the very same Lord who sits upon the judgment seat has waited patiently for you in his grace. He patiently ready to offer you the redemption of his son. The, the way to redemption through his son. He, he's ready to offer you new relationships to new life, all in the body of Jesus Christ. You see, when, when you read about the crucifixion in each of the gospel texts, and you read it as the first time, the whole crucifixion scene is, is heartbreaking and it's difficult to grasp. You see, as you begin that passion narrative, Jesus is, is swept away from the garden by a mob. And it starts to look like the mob is in charge. Then Jesus goes before Caiaphas. Seems like the high priest is in charge. Then Jesus goes before high, uh, Pilate. Then Jesus goes before Herod. Then Jesus goes before Pilate again. And we start to wonder, who is in charge here? In fact, there's days where we're walking on this earth where we are just thrown back and forth at the whims of the authorities of this world. And we start to wonder, who is in charge here? Pilate to Herod to Pilate. Why is the greatest man in human history, the only one of us who is innocent, being dragged around like a criminal? Who is in charge of this? And then, then it gets worse. Pilate then just gives up his authority and he says, oh, look, we're going to let the crowd choose. We're going to put the crowd in charge here. And what do they do? They start yelling, crucify him. And Jesus is crucified. And for three days, it looks like death is in charge. And, and the difficult thing for us is as we walk through this life, all the while we are aging we see and we feel and we know death around us. It, it feels like if anything is in charge in this earth, that it, the grave is the one who is in charge. And though we are constantly surrounded by death, death is not in charge. It's not. On Easter Sunday, we all found out who was in charge here. Jesus Christ was resurrected, death was defeated, and he, Jesus Christ, is the only one in charge. And there's no doubt whom we serve. In this place, we serve a risen Savior, a Christ alive, a Christ in charge. In fact, that's exactly that's exactly who we're remembering and serving as we come to the table. In fact, deacons, if you would, begin to prepare the supper. You know, as we, we come to the table, 
we're recognizing who Jesus was. We're, we're recognizing the, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf. Savior who, who loved us and bore the punishment and wrath of God for our sake. And what he asked us to do then, he said, you, you remember this sacrifice in these simple elements. But as you do, take it as unto the Lord. And so we need to have a, a moment of time where we pray, where we ask God to, to make things right in our heart and in our life. Go before him in repentance. And say, Lord, make these relationships right. So let's take a moment now to pray silently, and then I'll close this in prayer. Lord, whatever we have done in word or deed that was contrary to your ways, we ask for your forgiveness. For the relationships that have splintered, for the, the chaos and embitterment that we have caused, we ask for your forgiveness. For any way that we have strayed, We pray, Lord, forgive us and make it right. We pray longing for your spirit to come upon us, to cleanse us and purify our hearts, to raise us up out of the grave, to walk in new life. Lord, as we take of this supper, we remember how you made it right. It's in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Deacons, come and serve the bread.
hear of the supper from the Gospel of Matthew. This is the way Matthew describes it. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. As we turn our attention now to the cup, remember what this is for. Jesus very specifically said, this is for the forgiveness of your sins. All of us have a debt that is to be paid. And it was paid for by the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we could be forgiven and walk in new life. Deacons, come, serve the cup.
my blood which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Let's pray again. Father, we gratefully bow before you today, recognizing your lordship over our lives, over our relationships. Lord, it is you alone who are good and have set things right in this world. It's you alone who, who will judge. You alone who will save. So when we take of the supper, recognizing that worship and that victory over sin and death. Thank you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. We We're going to have our time of response now. Everybody here is going to respond to God in some way. So let's be intentional and obedient and responsible. There are some ways that a lot of you are heart that is for the Lord. And so in this time of response, if you need to, remain seated, but the rest of us, let's stand and let's respond to our Lord.
thank, thank the Lord that his, his spirit is active among us and working, and we just always pray that that be the case. As we now enter a time of offering, be seated and continue to worship through this time of giving. Man, it is a great joy and privilege today um, to introduce to you Carl Caton of the San Antonio Marriage Initiative. 
The San Antonio Marriage Initiative has been a, a partner with our church and is doing amazing work. And so we're, we're grateful for that partnership. We're grateful for Carl and his ministry. He's the founder of San Antonio Marriage Initiative. And we wanted to hear from him today about the good work that they're doing in our city. Carl, come and share with us. Thank you, friends. It's such an honor to be with you uh, today. Seven years ago, uh, in this sanctuary, uh, on this platform, in fact, probably standing right in this very place, was an author and speaker uh, on marriage, a man who had sold 11 million copies of his book, The Five Love Languages. His name was Gary Chapman. And uh, on that night here in the, in the sanctuary, uh, it seemed like every uh, uh, seat was filled, and uh, Kelly and I, my wife and I, were sitting up in the balcony. It was a very exciting moment in the early beginnings of the San Antonio Marriage Initiative. It was very exciting. When I was sitting up there uh, in those seats looking out over all these people that had come that evening, you know, a couple of things came to mind. First was, wow, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of people that came to invest in their marriage. That's a great thing. The second thing I felt was just a deep sense of gratitude for this church in that you've always been so faithful to marriage, God's first institution. But even more than that, I felt just an incredible sense of awe that God was moving so powerfully in our community. You know, in the three years that led up to that night when we were here for date night San Antonio, in the three years prior, I had sat down for coffee with 270 people from 75 churches. I'm on Nexium now. <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, but I was just amazed at what I had learned in that three-year period. I learned that our community has about 400,000 marriages. I was surprised to learn that roughly one-fifth or 80,000 of those marriages were struggling. I went down to the district clerk's office and watched people file in and file for divorce. And I learned that 9,000 couples file for divorce every year in our community. It's a problem of staggering proportion. But I also met with hundreds and hundreds of people, now over a thousand people in our community who feel uniquely called to serving marriages. So the San Antonio Marriage Initiative is really about the business of just serving the marriage movement in our community. You know, the need is great, but God is greater, right? I believe that God desires to redeem and restore marriages in San Antonio by His power and for his glory, and he's doing that. Divorce is down by 26.5%. We had a, hit an all-time high in marriage licenses in 2017. God's doing amazing things, but he's doing it through his people, an amazing group of people just like the people of First Baptist Church. So thankful, thank you for being faithful to marriage, and thank you for all the things that you're doing. Thank you for Marriage Strong, which is an amazing marriage ministry in this community led by your own Danny and Anna Panter. Thank you for being faithful to God's first institution. It's an honor to serve beside you. In Jesus' name, amen. Next, we have another wonderful announcement. In fact, uh, we are, we're filled with joy today, and maybe none of us more so than Mark Schmeltikoff. So Mark, come and give us your joy-filled announcement. Thank you, Chris, and, and I am very much filled with joy, uh, perhaps not quite as much as Charlie Wedge, 
uh, <laughs> who's been very faithful uh, to us as a church to, to stay until the search committee was able to uh, find a person to recommend to you. Uh, and we have done that. We're, we're very excited to bring uh, before you the name of Dr. Danny Cancino, Jr. He currently serves as the uh, Chief Financial Officer and Director of Finance at Baptist University of the Americas. Before that, he had been uh, the Manager of Financial Services um, at the Dallas-Fort Worth Regional uh, Area for the Salvation Army. Uh, he holds a Bachelor of Business Studies from the Dallas uh, Baptist University, a Master of Business Administration also from Dallas Baptist University, and he recently uh, received a Doctor of Philosophy from Regent University. Uh, he is married to Letty, and they have two children, two girls, uh, ages six and one. Uh, and then we have prepared a pamphlet uh, that is available to you at the Ask Me desk uh, if you stop by at the close of the service uh, that provides more information on Danny and his family and his background. A uh, couple of dates uh, that are coming up, if you notice in your, uh, in your worship bulletin in the Life Together section, uh, we have uh, a meet and greet uh, uh, available to the church uh, this coming Friday evening uh, over at 4th Street Crossing from 7 to 8.30, uh, so I would really invite all of you to come and, and take advantage of the time to uh, meet Danny and Letty and their children. And uh, then on Sunday, a week, a week from today, uh, Danny will come uh, to each of the services and introduce himself to you and, and share a short testimony. And then Sunday evening, November the 17th, uh, the church will gather for a church conference to, uh, to consider calling him uh, to come to our church. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. Mark has served uh, very well uh, in the role as chairman of our, our search team, and so we're grateful for that, that service. Now, let me give you a couple more Life Together moments. One, tonight at 6 p.m., we are going to have an ordination service. We're ordaining three of our own, which we are excited about. Uh, Jimmy Gunn, Rick Henderson, Byron Pitts, three of our uh, staff members will be ordained to the gospel ministry tonight in this place. So we pray that you'll come and love on them and support them um, and be a part of this service. It'll be a good night together. You also need to be aware, um, Christmas is sneaking up on us. Right, Aaron? He looks like a deer in the headlights back there. Christmas is sneaking on. What that means is next Monday begins our Wolfson House Christmas Arts and Crafts Show, which is always a wonderful week in the life of this church. We hope you'll come by and, and be a part of that craft show. It's going to be a good week together. And lastly, the altar flowers in front of me, uh, they're given to the glory of God. And in gratitude of this praying church by Rose Leska. And so thank you, Rose, and thank you, Praying Church. Amen. Uh, Brian, would you come and introduce this couple to us? Church family this morning, uh, Richard and Elizabeth Dobbins are coming for membership from another Baptist church in our area. If you look forward to walking in faith with Richard and Elizabeth, would you say amen? Amen. And we love you. That's right. They'll, they'll be over here at the door with me after the service. You come by and greet them and welcome them to this body. Amen. We're dismissed now to go do the good work God has called us to do. Let's stand together. Take the name of Jesus with you.
God bless you.
First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.